0: Hello and welcome to the Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. It's great to have you with us listening along to this podcast. My name's Tori Walker and this is episode 34. If you are a regular listener, you'll know that last episode I interviewed Taryn Hayes, who's going to come on board and co-host the podcast with me. She has been busy doing a couple of interviews already and this first one I'm really pleased to be able to share with you. In it, she interviews her friend and sister-in-law Kerry who lives in Perth and they talk about a whole range of things actually. Kerry uh, became a Christian quite early and has been involved in church in South Africa and also church here in Australia. She is someone who's passionate about youth work and I love hearing her talk about youth work because she's been doing it for a long time and I think youth work's one of those things that it's easy to be passionate about for a little while But she loves teenagers and just loves teaching them the Bible and seeing them grow. So it's great to hear her talk about that. I think you'll also really be interested to hear her talk about some things that she's been learning about more of a counselling style of ministry. And I just found it really helpful hearing her talk about how the gospel is so central in that, not in a uh, the gospel needs to be important kind of way, but really getting to the nitty-gritty of of how the gospel answers people's problems and and issues that they might be facing. I found it really helpful to listen to, and I just know that uh, whether you're someone who's involved in that kind of ministry or just wants to be a good friend or think about your own sin like um, I did, I think you'll really appreciate listening to this one. Over to the conversation.
1: Hello, Lydia listeners, this is Taryn Hayes, and today I'm going to be talking to Carrie Newell, who amongst many accolades also <laughs> happens to be my sister-in-law, whom I dearly love. We're sitting on a beautiful sunny day in Perth, and we have children hopefully tucked away somewhere where they're not going to disturb us in the next hour or so. Although we may have some doors banging. <laughs> hopefully no doors banging. Um, but we're going to get to know Carrie a little bit over the next little while and uh, I can guarantee you we're in for a treat because she's had a very interesting life and has taught me many things So Welcome to the Lydia Project. It's great to have you here. It's really good to be with you. How about we start off with a few questions? The first one being can you tell us a little about yourself? So my husband is Craig
2: Newell and he's the brother of Taryn who's doing this interview. We have three children Our eldest is 14, then an 11-year-old, and then a 9-year-old. I've been homeschooling them for the past six years, which has been really great. And
1: my husband is one of the pastors at a church here in Perth. That's great. Now, those are the facts that everybody knows about you, if they had to go and Google you. Um, But how about telling us a few little-known facts about Kerry? (laughs) A few little-known.
2: Well... Let's start with the fact that I have left and right dyslexia, which is always incredibly interesting when trying to give a person directions in the (laughs) car. So my husband and I operate on the principle of, you're going to turn this away or that away with appropriate hand signals. So as I'm doing that, my husband's normally saying, it's right, Kerry, it's right. (laughs) That direction's called right. So there's that. So it's fun to drive with me. Then... I think the second thing would be that that same husband had to teach me how to cook when we got married. (laughs) I was completely incompetent in the kitchen, so much so that I didn't even know how to make rice. So he spent the first year of our marriage teaching me the basics, and I think I've got the hang of it 20 years later. And one other thing, I think I have developed some DIY skills over the years, so that's a good thing. So I've... uh, become quite competent at doing a mean job of laying vinyl flooring and assembling IKEA products with my son.. <laughs>
1: Fabulous. <There> you <laughs> Thank you. That was awesome. So now Carrie, uh, we want to know a little bit more about how you came to Christ. so let's let's start there. So I had one of those incredibly
2: privileged childhoods where my parents are Godly Christian people and they explained the gospel to me from long before I can even remember and I remember lying in bed when I was about four years old and I was absolutely terrified of dying. I don't really know why I was so scared of dying at four. I think I felt my heart might stop beating. I don't know what brought that on but I was so terrified of dying and I thought if I die tonight I'm going to hell and that freaked me out completely and so I called to my parents and they were busy with some uni students in our lounge room. Uh, my parents were involved in uni ministry for over 30 years. So they left the meeting that they were in and they came to my bed when I called for them. And I told them what was going wrong and uh, they explained to me, well, if you put your trust in Jesus and you ask him to forgive you for your sin, then your sin will be taken away. And you will be free of your sin and you'll be a friend of Jesus and you'll be able to go to heaven with him when you die. And so I put my trust in Jesus that night
1: and I've been a Christian ever since then. That's such an awesome story. I always love that story, especially because you are four and for a four-year-old to be able to understand the magnitude of what it means to um, be without God is, is huge. It's awesome and yeah. it's encouraging because it means... Um, for our kids as well as we think about um, our own children and other people's children, that the gospel is easy enough to understand for a four-year-old to to get it. Yeah, easy enough to understand, yet so incredibly rich. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, and I think as I went on in my life, I I realized more and more the richness of it and uh, how the gospel is the answer for everything. But it's taken a lot of growing up to understand that.
1: Absolutely, and I feel perhaps maybe that we're going to say the same thing in 20, 30, 40 years' time when we I look back to true. now. I think it's true. <laughs> so maybe expand a little bit on that. How did, were there any big things that happened for you in the course of your life as a teenager that impacted your, um, your faith? I
2: think um, I struggled with assurance of salvation. I was one of those kids who gave my heart to Jesus over and over and over again, mm-hmm because i didn't I didn't really understand that when you put your trust in Jesus, you really are secure, and you don't need to keep doing it again and again. Um, but unfortunately, I think that whole Sunday school language of giving your heart to Jesus wasn't all that helpful. And it took me quite a while actually to come to assurance of salvation. But on the path, on the journey of of coming to that complete assurance, when I was fourteen years old, I went to a church called St. James Church in Kenilworth, South Africa and on the the 25th of July in 1993 I went to church that Sunday night and uh, terrorists actually came to our church at night with their AK-47s and with their bombs and they uh, they attacked the church and by the time they left there were 11 people dead and 50 people injured and that was an incredibly Traumatic part of my life and a traumatic part of the life of every single individual Who was there that night and every individual who was associated with those who were there that night? and I think that that um, That was a point where I thought I Really need to make sure that Christianity is true because I don't understand why if God loves me he would let this happen and if he loves my church family, why he would let this happen. And I started questioning even if there was a God. So that was that was a really traumatic part of my life. Mm. How did you resolve that? Well, it's interesting. I actually, um, I don't know that every single question was answered in, a, in an academic way, but about two months after that, those events took place. I was invited to join a leadership course for teenagers in our church and the purpose of the leadership course was to equip us in understanding the Bible and in giving us some practical tools for ministry to children and also equipping us in doctrine and some other tools like uh, just for starters or two ways to live those kind of things so I joined that program and just the more I got stuck into the Bible the more I just knew it was true and, yeah, I, I, I don't know why those events happened that night. I don't have the answers for that, but I know that God is good. I know that he's in charge of this world. I know that evil happens, and I know that he will not ultimately allow to continue, that there will be a day of judgment when he will wrap everything up, and, and on that day wrongs will be put right. And he will not let people get away with evil forever. And I, I think I just realized that, despite not understanding everything about those events in that
1: moment. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And uh, so this takes you up to around about your teenage years. How did things change or grow as you hit your early 20s? So I think that the ministry I was involved in, it was called Timothy
2: Ministry because of um, the passage in Timothy where it talks about equipping the next generation, so passing on sound doctrine to the next generation, and I think that had a really wonderful effect on my life because I came out of high school really well equipped with many good gospel tools and with good Bible handling skills. So, after high school, I went to theological college, and then I uh worked in uni ministry as well for a couple of years before I had kids. so, I was involved in those things because I just realized that um if God had given me the gifts he'd given me and the conviction he'd given me, then I really wanted to use those gifts in the in the to the best of my ability if other people thought
1: I had those gifts too so that's what I went and did for a while so that leads me to my next question which is what ministry are you currently involved in? so I'm currently involved in youth ministry and I think I've been involved
2: in youth ministry for almost 20 years now so ever since I left high school till about now with a little gap for having babies in the Mm -hmm. middle of it and I have to say I love youth ministry I really love teenagers particularly the your 10 to 12s They're really good fun. And I was so excited that, uh, about 18 months ago when my eldest son joined youth ministry for the first time and now my daughter as well. So that's just been brilliant. And I'm so glad to be part of a Bible teaching youth ministry where God's Word is put front and centre in what we're doing. I think that's really important. And I think a lot of churches, unfortunately, think that teenagers aren't interested in the Bible or that they aren't really able to cope with it or look at it for themselves and they spend far too much time entertaining them and not um and not discipling them. So I'm just so thankful that our church has Bible teaching front and centre.
1: That's that's so true and that's a bit of a legacy that we come from because I think um certainly for me in my early years growing up in youth groups was very much about entertainment. Yeah. And um um, but you you guys were part of a bit of a pioneering team, I suppose. So why don't you tell us a little bit a little bit about that? Well,
2: while my husband and I were still living in South Africa, we got the opportunity to visit Australia and to go to Katoomba. And after Katoomba, we met up with Ken and Julie Moser. And they really challenged us about uh, the youth ministry at our church. Uh, my husband had taken over from someone who had been really, really good at entertaining teenagers. And Ken and Julie said to us, you guys are reformed evangelicals. You believe that God's word is powerful. If you believe that God's word is truly powerful, why are you, why are you entertaining teenagers? Why don't you just let the lion out of the cage? Let <laughs> him do his work. And so um, I remember just being so challenged and Craig and I were incredibly challenged by that statement and we went back to South Africa And Craig did exactly that. He started training leaders. He started training them in leading Bible studies, started training them in how to run the small group Bible studies. And our youth ministry started to turn around. And at first there was a fair amount of opposition from parents because they were concerned that their teenager wouldn't want to come to church anymore, that they wouldn't be interested in, in having Bible study at that stage of their life. But we persisted and the senior pastor at the church really backed Craig and what he was doing. And youth ministry turned around and that was was a remarkable thing to have Bible teaching front and center. And it's something we were very, very privileged to witness and be a part of.
1: You certainly were. And uh, I'm very glad to have been a part of that as well. I think I remember my brother, Getting his hands on Ken's book, no guts, no glory, and that, if that's I remember correctly, I had had quite a bit to do as well with helping him shape. That's right, the youth ministry. That's
2: right. Craig got the privilege of reading that first, and then we got the privilege of meeting Ken in real life.
1: Okay, that's the way around it was. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So you talk about putting the Bible front and center in your youth ministry. What does that look like in a, a youth Bible study?
2: Well if we're doing one of the letters, for instance, in the New Testament, we will give every child in our youth group a copy of the Bible passage for that night and then we will throw a whole lot of texters on the table and a whole lot of pens and we'll tell them they need to spend 10 minutes by themselves looking at the passage, highlighting all the common themes that they can see in the passage or common words that they can see if they uh, spot any conjunctions and we explain to them those are linking words like so, or therefore, but, that they need to highlight that in a different color. So we basically spend about 10 minutes with them sticking their noses in the text and also trying to divide up the passage into its logical sections. So that by the time we actually ask them questions, their understanding of the passage is probably about 30%. And we find that that really helps them to answer the questions in a a much better way. But it also helps them to understand how they are supposed to handle the scriptures, that they need these exegetical tools to be able to handle the scriptures properly. So they have so much practice in it. We do that from year seven all the way to year 12. So by the time they're in year 12, they really are pros at being able to do that. And I had one great story come back to me of um, a person who used to be in our youth group going over to another church overseas. And she ended up in this church that uh, her family would have been a part of previously. Well, at least a denomination that her family would have been part of previously. And by the time the sermon was finished, this girl walked out of that church and turned to her parents and said, that is not how youth group taught us to understand the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) So I was so thankful. Her parents came and told me that. And I thought, wow, like here's, um, A person who's still a teenager and they've just left high school and they can already spot the error because they've been trained yeah in how to handle the scriptures and that's what we want for every teenager we want them to be thoroughly immersed in the Bible
1: and thoroughly equipped in understanding it absolutely oh that's a very encouraging story now Kerry as long as I've known you uh, people come to you and they tell tell you their stories and you have been a particularly good listening ear over the years when we were raising our little children together, we would spend Thursday afternoons, Thursday afternoons, yes I think it was, um, and uh, really thrashing out life's problems and you were always full of wisdom, and you are full of, always full of wisdom, but recently <laughs> I think you would probably say that you have become a lot better equipped in the realm of counseling, and Christian counseling in particular, um, would you like to tell us more about that? Yes, a couple of months ago, I went
2: on a Christian counseling course along with my husband and some other staff at church. And one of the speakers on this counseling course really blew my mind and have really, really helped me to deal with people in a way that I was never able to deal with them before. And it was only two days worth, so I thought that was pretty impressive (laughs) um, how much he managed to cram into those days. So uh, just to share with you, A couple of the things he said because they blow me away and I hope that those who are listening will really benefit from what he said as well. So what he said was that many of us who believe the Bible, believe that the Bible teaches that we're totally depraved. So at least in theory we're really comfortable with that. But when it comes to real life most of us are not expecting to be confronted with radical evil. So we like to think of those around us as nice people when in reality the world is a very evil place. And I think this is actually where it gets quite interesting because I've spoken to people over the years about the really awful and terrible things that have happened to them. But when I talk to them about their stories and I hit something that's particularly traumatic, I end up seeing the same thing happen over and over again in the way that they tell me their story. So they start speaking And they tell me of this horrific thing and then I'll be really gutted and I'll say to them that's really awful like that's so horrific but when I see their response to what I'm saying it's almost like they minimize it in some way they they go yeah it wasn't great but you know you move on or uh, and then I say, no really it's it's really awful that's that's really terrible I'm so sorry that happened to you and they go yeah well you know like other people have had worse things happen or in the end it wasn't that bad or something, something that just seems to be quite jarring given what they've told me. And I've never really been able to understand that. I, I feel like I'm hitting a wall and I don't know how to penetrate that wall with a person. So that's been something that's always caught me off guard. and, And I think that what Andrew was saying in his seminar really explained that to me for the first time. He said that human beings do not want to feel helpless in the face of radical evil. They want to be able to save themselves. And if evil is truly as terrifying as they've just experienced, then the reaction they're going to have is that they're going to feel incredibly helpless and vulnerable. And they don't want to feel helpless, because if they're helpless and vulnerable, then they won't be able to save themselves. When he said that, I thought, oh my goodness, that just makes so much sense. Because I think our default setting as human beings is, we don't want a saviour. We want to be able to save ourselves. Yeah, we want to be in control. Yeah, exactly. So human beings, to cope with the evil and the vulnerability that they're feeling, what they do at that point is that they tell themselves a lie. They tell themselves a parallel story. So in the one story, on the one hand, they know the truth about what happened. But in their parallel story, which is the lie, they concoct a different version of the events that took place so that they don't have to be as afraid or that they don't have to face how radical evil was in their story because if they don't have to do that then they won't need a savior and they can come up with their own DIY
1: salvation plan. Wow, so give us an example if you can of, of what that might look like in, in a one particular situation. So
2: a lot of people that he's counselled over the years who have drug addiction or are in prostitution, or people with OCD or anorexia or bulimia, or just, there's so many different disorders. And what he was talking about is that as he counsels people, he tries to ask them about their story. So as he goes back into their story, he's often found that at some point in their life, um, for instance, maybe there is a person who's on drugs, that, that he will find as he goes back in their story that maybe they had an abusive father and at the point where their father was beating them up, they will have concocted a story in their mind where they'll say, oh, no, my dad wasn't beating me up, he was just disciplining me. Wow. So something like that. Or I've heard another story where there was a woman who um, had an attempted gang rape and her explanation of the event was oh, it was just a bunch of boys just having some fun. And what was so interesting to me is as I heard the story, I thought, wow, like even as you tell the story, I can hear that that's not what was going on. And yet somehow you've managed to light to yourself and concoct this parallel story. So that that blew me away, wow. realizing that that's what human beings do. We, we light ourselves because we don't want a savior. We want to minimize evil so that... Somehow, we, in our own strength, will be able to overcome the evil. And that's what people do. Wow.
1: How has this influenced you now, though, with how you talk to people? I think
2: I've really realized how much counseling is actually word ministry. Because the gospel really deals with these things. The gospel deals with trauma that's happened in our life. And the gospel comes in and we realize when God's Spirit works within us that we don't have to lie about evil in our lives. We don't have to make up a parallel story. We can actually tell the truth about what happened because God is bigger than evil. And we were never gonna be big enough to overcome the evil and the trauma and the suffering that has happened in our lives. It was always going to have to be God, who is the savior. And so I've realized that when I talk to people, that's what I need to emphasize as I listen to their stories. So as I listen to a person's story now, I'm looking for the lie. I'm looking for the part of their story where they've either minimised evil or where something that they're doing in their lives that's crippling them. So maybe they're anorexic or bulimic or um, OCD or they've got social anxiety. I'm looking for what, where they went wrong in their thinking that made them think that somehow something that happened to them wasn't that bad or, on the other hand, where they are thinking that somehow they by just trying hard enough can control their world like with anorexic or bulimic who um, can't control an event in the past but now tries to control their life by eating very minimally so that's what i'm looking for in the story and then trying to help them understand how the gospel answers that and how jesus really is a solution and how they don't have to carry on lying. what kind of questions are you asking to help people to see this Well, I suppose as I'm getting their stories, and I'm not a professional counsellor or anything, but as I'm getting their stories and I I hear the things they say about their story, then I'm trying to reflect back to them the parts where I think they've got a parallel story. And I'm saying, why did you say it like that? Why did you say, um, you know, for instance, your dad was disciplining you because it sounds to me like he was abusing you? You know, something like that, where... Mm it's quite obvious to any listener that that doesn't really make sense given what they've said. So I think that's what I'm trying to point out in their stories now to help them. And how is that working? I think I've seen some astonishing turnarounds and my conversations have certainly been going better than they used to go. I don't feel like I'm hitting that brick wall anymore. But at the same time, we ourselves as human beings are very, very evil. And our desire to be rebels against God and to be our own saviors runs very very deep within us and i think even as christians we're wrestling with sin we're wrestling with wanting to trust in ourselves and not wanting to trust in god so it's one of those things where you can point out the lies to someone but unless god's spirit is working in them and unless they are being convicted that they really can trust in a savior who is more powerful than evil you know my words are falling on deaf ears so i'm praying
1: that God would reveal these things to them as I'm trying to speak the truth into their lives as well. So I know that Andrew has a helpful analogy with regards to what you've been talking about. Um, Do you wanna share with our listeners? Yes, it's a really great analogy. He talks about
2: human beings being either moths or cockroaches. So he says that when a person is confronted with the root cause of the problems in their lives, they're either gonna be a moth and fly towards the light, which really is just an analogy for being willing to face the truth and um, confront the darkness in their lives. Or they're gonna be a cockroach and they're gonna scurry away from the darkness. So when I'm talking to them, I'm very aware that I am not able to change them in any way. It has to be God's Spirit um, who's changing them. But I don't know whether I'm dealing with a moth or a cockroach. If I'm dealing with a moth, And God's Spirit is working in them then they're going to want to see more and more of the truth But if I'm dealing with a cockroach well then I won't be able to help them in any way they love the darkness and they're not willing to look to Christ as a Savior they want to do their own DIY salvation and so as a person talking to them I don't feel any pressure then to have to change them which is such a great relief yes it really is not up to me Um, And I I really enjoyed that and that yeah, I found that really, really helpful. And I think one other thing that has recommended is reading Larry Krav's book Inside Out and also Dan Allender's book Healing the Wounded Heart, which is a book particularly about sexual abuse. So I haven't had the chance to read either of those books yet, but I'm really looking forward to reading them and hopefully that'll help me to have better conversations than the ones Mm -hmm. I'm even having now.
1: Yeah, now, at, at your recommendation, I've started reading Inside Out myself and it has been quite a brilliant book, um, learning so much. It's the kind of book I feel like I need to read numbers of times over with with many tabs and highlighted and underlined areas <laughs> and passages I probably should learn off my heart just to... <laughs> <laughs> I can fully get my head around everything, but it has been very interesting and has helped me think through a lot of things um, in my own life, but also in conversations I have with people, so... It's very liberating, I think, what you're saying in particular about the um, cockroaches and moths things. Because my temptation often is to feel that burden of responsibility to change people. Yeah. Um, But how liberating just to be able to ask the questions and help them to see truth and allow the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, and one of the other things,
2: when a person presents as an alcoholic or a drug addict or anorexic or their OCD or they have some kind of presenting issue he says don't worry about those because those things are just their DIY salvation strategy to overcome a bigger issue in their life and that's really been helpful for me as well because now I don't I don't focus on those things I try and listen to the story and I try to find the
1: lie in the
2: story so that's been really good too.
1: That is very encouraging I wonder how many people are really struggling with things like anorexia or whatever it may be when in actual fact the there are lies that they need to maybe confront. Yes. Um, I, f- I feel that there's perhaps a, a huge need for more and more um, Christians and churches to um, tell people, talk to people in this way to help them uncover those lies. Um, that certainly is the case and I'm very thankful to God for
2: the Christian counselors. In Australia and Mm. I suppose it's something we should pray for that more and more Christians would be convicted to do this kind of work in churches and amongst the general community but do it from the perspective of the Bible being their foundation rather than psychology being their foundation Uh, because in the end all of us need a savior and no matter what happens to us in the end we're not going to be able to overcome our own problems by ourselves
1: uh, no DIY saviour plans. Yeah, work. that's
2: right. That's right. There is only one person who can conquer evil, and that is Jesus. There's only one person who can rescue from sin, and that's Jesus.
1: Absolutely. Now, what's been keeping you standing firm and growing in the gospel? I suppose it's the same things
2: that um, we all hear emphasised over and over again uh, being sure to go to church, to hear from His word Sunday by Sunday. I also have the opportunity to be in a ladies' Bible study, which is really, really good for my soul. And um, at the moment, we're doing the course of your life, which has been challenging me. So I'm really enjoying that.
1: Tell us a little bit more about that. What is the course of your life?
2: So it's a Matthias Media course that is looking at the way we um, see Jesus' impact on our life. So one of the really challenging things was that Tony Payne was saying was often our dreams for our life are I'm going to graduate from high school. I'm going to go to university. I'm going to get a great job. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to buy into a good suburb so that I can put my kids in good schools. And then when I become a Christian, then Jesus is just something I kind of add on. Okay, now I have to add in going to church and maybe going to a Bible study. And that's what my life looks like as a Christian. Yeah. And he was really challenging that and saying, um, no, when you become a Christian, Jesus becomes everything. He shapes everything. He shapes where you live. He shapes where you go to church. He shapes uh, uh, all the decisions you make about where your kids get educated. He shapes absolutely everything. He's not something you just bolt on in addition to your life. And so that was challenging to think through um, other areas of my life where I've just kind of bolted Jesus onto my dreams or is he actually Lord of my life and Lord of all the things that I desire and Lord of... Of what I hope for and what I dream um, it needs to be his agenda not my agenda so that's been challenging and I think one of the things that's been really good we've been going through Revelation actually with our kids our kids are 14 11 and 9 so that sounds like a big ask but it's been great we've been reading through Revelation with them and then every time we do a chapter we get them to draw it and we've put it on a little timeline them so that they can understand what all the key events are and the cycles of seven that are running through the book. So that's been quite fun to do that and to deepen my understanding. And then, of course, I think every time I teach the Bible, that's always the richest time for me because Mm. my nose is shoved into the text. And of course, to be a good Bible study leader, it has to challenge me before it's going to challenge anyone else. So I think that that's something that's especially rich for me is actually having to teach it to other people and I think that's a great privilege as a bible teacher to have to do that kind of work on the text I think you are always more blessed as a teacher than even the people who hear the message so I feel very privileged to be given that opportunity in youth ministry
1: that is so true well it's been really good to talk to you today Kerry, as always um, and just to hear a bit of your story and to be able to share some of what you've been learning with with people through the Lydia Project and um, I'm just praying that this is going to bless others and I'm just really grateful to hear how the Lord has been working in your life and in the lives of your children and and in your church so um, thank you, thanks for sharing
2: it's been a real pleasure
0: Thanks for listening. If you want to let us know what you thought about the episode, you can do that through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or via the Gospel Coalition Australia's website page. On all the social media platforms, our handle is TLPCWCW. Our Instagram page I just want to mention now is a new one for us obviously there's not much on there but if you are on Instagram and want to follow us we would really appreciate it and would especially appreciate you interacting with the first couple of posts just to help us get a teeny tiny bit of a presence there so that's tlpcwcw on Instagram thanks a lot see you next time